0: Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him. And today, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Ed. And yeah, like he
1: said, my name's Ed. My pronouns are they and them. And as what appears to be a 4th of July tradition, I have my podcast, Whiskey, and gonna get shmammered off of... Uh, moonshine,
0: live on air. I also have a podcast, Whiskey. I don't intend to get uh, but I do intend to talk about Lancer. I've been Woo! threatening to do this Robots. episode for like 40 episodes Ever. or so. Maybe more. Uh, because I love the Lancer setting and mechanics, and now that I've had a chance to actually run a game of it for a while, I feel like I am capable of really discussing it. And, and you know why else you can also do this episode? I don't own a lance. I
1: was going to say because freedom, and then insert uh, the sounds of an eagle.
0: Okay, I will insert the sounds of a red-tailed hawk, which is what everyone thinks an eagle sounds like.
1: Exactly.
0: Eagles actually sound more like seagulls, apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, they do. They We have one that lives in our neighborhood, and it sounds like there's a seagull flying around it.
0: Uh, yes. But before we talk about Lancer and all the cool things that it is about, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about our week in hobby. Fancy that. Uh, I guess I'll go first.
1: Uh, Hooray.
0: Uh, let's see. I... Yes, I've had a... Had a, um... Spells, not spell but yeah. Had a Starfinder. I can see the whiskey's finder.
1: already setting in.
0: Had a Starfinder. I've had multiple games this last week, so I gotta think about which one came first. Had a Starfinder session. Um, we had to deal with some creatures that had set up camp in our in the like recycling area of the town that we're running. Um, which I accomplished by punching them repeatedly. That's why they uh, called
1: in the exterminator.
0: Yes, we determined that um, the player the uh, other like support caster casting a spell onto my thing so that I do an additional giant chunk of damage when I hit someone works really well because then I just obliterate mm-hmm. whatever I hit.
1: Um, Are you on your way to becoming One Punch Man?
0: I mean, a One Punch Lizard. Because I am a lizard person. Um. I don't know if I'm gonna be One Punch Man because I like the like combo punches, but I am on my way to becoming like a fighting game character. <laughs> like I'll I just you know block moves, sweep the leg, punch, punch, punch. That's kind of where I'm headed. Um. That that was pretty much we dealt with uh, some random stuff around town and then fought those guys. Um, and kind of figured out where our next exploration run was going to be. Um, because we got to spend some time claiming, like, resource nodes and doing other stuff in order to build up our settlement and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a slow burn, this campaign, because it, it's split between the settlement building and the exploring. Um, gotta
1: strike those mining claims.
0: Yes, strike the earth, as they say. Uh, And then, uh, also, I had a Lancer game where the party had a little bit of downtime uh, before learning kind of the details of the incoming fleet of uh, religious crusade ships that they were going to have to deal with um, from the Onic Ascendancy, which is in Lancer setting, um, something we'll talk about later. Uh, They got to play with the downtime rules, which are actually quite interesting. You get to, you know, make rolls for things, and they can be based on your abilities and traits, and uh, can give you cool abilities, and uh, give you cool resources for your next set of missions. So there's an actual point to taking downtime. Uh, Isn't that
1: how it works in any RPG?
0: I mean, sometimes... uh, I would say it's an actual point because there is like a failure state as well. And there are a decent number of things that you can do, including just a uh, drink. One of the downtime actions is just uh, go out drinking. Cool. Um, and if you roll poorly, you uh, wake up in a gutter somewhere. <laughs> um, having... Lost your dignity, your possessions, or your memory. My mech, where did it go? Well, no, not not your mech. Because you can always print a new mech. Because we'll get into that. But it, they just did some downtime stuff. And then they uh, got set up to start defending the city from the incoming forces that are going to be doing orbital drops. Um, and uh, we, we had to end the session before combat started. Just because time... And then we're not meeting this week because uh, 4th of July is people are traveling and the like. So, yeah, we'll pick that up next week with them defending a beach landing against a bunch of enemy mechs.
1: Oh, boy, it's gonna be a reverse Normandy out there.
0: Yep. Uh, I think a reverse Normandy is generally called a Gallipoli.
1: That's a good one. I'll give you that one.
0: I mean, yeah. Yeah. Didn't
1: think that one through, did you, Churchill?
0: No, he did not. Although, to be fair, no one had really thought about how you landed people under fire before. And now we know. Now we know. You bring in a lot of extra fire and you kind of flatten the place before you go in. They can't shoot back if they don't have any
1: machine guns.
0: The enemy cannot press a button if you disable his hand. Um, that works, too. Yeah, that's uh, the classic Starship Troopers line. Hmm. Um, it's been a while
1: since I've seen Starship Troopers.
0: Always worth a rewatch. That's from, like, when they're in training, and one of them goes, why do we need to learn knife combat if we have... we can always just press a button and nuke somebody? And then the sergeant throws a knife at his hand, and he's like, <laughs> he cannot press a button if you disable his hand. I would like to know more. You... I'm from buenos series, and i say we wipe them all out um so we had that and then i also had a uh, some people over and we did some board games we played uh tinder blocks which i'll discuss at the end of the episode because that is going to be our uh board game corner we also Yay. played uh quicks which is like yahtzee with colored dice
1: I've heard of that one. I don't really know much about it.
0: I mean, it's a very fast, like, party dice game. Um, It was fun. I did not win, but I understand it pretty well, and it is interesting. Um, Oh, and we played Guillotine, (laughs) where we uh, collected the heads of various French nobles.
1: I feel like we need an updated version of Guillotine, but it's all just billionaires. I mean... Yeah. Would would producing that game be considered an actionable threat?
0: I don't think so. You have to, like, make it obviously caricature rather than using actual people's names. Uh, But you could probably do that to dodge that bullet. (laughs) Milan Rusk. And now we're going to have firework noises on the podcast.
1: Yay! Probably from my neighborhood too, because they've been they've been setting them off uh, since
0: Friday. Yep, that's about that. That's when they start. Um. So, and then there was a, another thing that happened, but I think you can describe that more.
1: You mean the spell jammer game? The
0: game where we jammed spells. Yes.
1: Uh, well, I guess I guess at the end we technically did jam some
0: spells because we left the rock of brawl. Yeah, we got in our ship shipping... and. Went to jams themselves, but why don't you talk about your weekend hobby now?
1: Uh, it's mostly been lots of blood bowl. Uh, I thought in my hubris that I would be able to get my entire team finished and done before the opening of the season tomorrow. The kickoff. Uh, that that was a fool's errand, but so far I like how they're coming along. Uh, I'm actually working on painting the linemen right now so we'll have to see how they turn out i don't hate the way they look but i feel like it's missing something and maybe that will reveal itself in time as i continue painting
0: have you done the metallics yet
1: that's what i'm working on right now
0: okay i i often find that getting the metallics done is that missing thing yeah and they're also like i haven't painted
1: like the skin tone or anything so they're still very purple As they were when I did the initial base coat. I'm trying to do my best to match them to what my Dark Elves from middle school slash high school looked like. So they are, their color scheme is purple, black, gold, and uh, brown for, you know, assorted leather stuff because I was like 11 and not very creative about the colors that you can make leather and other assorted goods. So I've been working on that. Um, I've officially been suckered back into playing Warhammer 40k. Um, somebody please save me from myself. But I realized that if I get the combat patrol box for the orcs for 10th edition, that will leave me with essentially an entire orcs army, which will be nice. I, It's probably still small in... Orky terms, but I'll have, like, two units of boys, a unit of grots, a unit of commandos, um, a death dread, and three of their orc helicopters, which should be sufficient enough, at least for pickup games or, you know, what have you. Um, Now that COVID has started to wind down even more, uh, my wife's more open to us going and actually playing at events or... Uh, in person at game shops, so I predict that as the summer goes on, there may be more potential for in-person gaming, which will be nice.
0: That does sound nice. I do think your orcs probably need something. Perhaps uh, more DACA?
1: Yeah, more DACA is always good. Um, Probably some more heavy weapons. But uh, I also got a Gazkul Thraka, who's, like, the big, like, named character for the orcs in 40k.
0: Yes, he was the uh, war boss led the assaults on the planet of Armageddon. Yeah, it's, it's an absolutely fuck-huge model.
1: Um, I'm excited to paint it. And I figure even if I don't actually really get that far into 40k, because I kind of lean more towards uh, Kill Team and smaller games, at some point, we're probably going to play Starfinder or some other, you know, sci-fi game that doesn't have its own line of miniatures. And I love me some orcs, and I'm willing to just jam orcs into any game that we're playing. Yeah, they, they, uh, a big orc would be fun for Stargrave. Yep, and uh, just in general, like now that Combat Patrol is coming out, they're starting to do like specific Combat Patrol, uh, like leagues or tournaments, and. I would like to be part of, you know, some kind of like gaming community event like that because I haven't really done that before. Um, I tried to get in on Kill Team and Underworlds back when they were more current, but just because the nature of working at night meant that my schedule was absolutely fucked. Um, I just generally couldn't go to those events, so if I can manage to get the combat patrol box for the orcs painted up in a reasonable amount of time, then, you know, go to some combat patrol league events or something like that and just be part of the community, which would be nice for a change.
0: Yeah. Uh, I did that for a while for a good long while with X wing until, uh, they changed it to second edition and I kind of fell out of it. Um, but it's it's fun to be a member of a community th- uh, that is actively playing a game.
1: Yep, yeah. There's I've tried to I've tried to get on multiple occasions. Try to get on. You know, like I said, kill team. Um, uh, we had a lot of players for Game of Thrones for a while, but between working weird hours and the pandemic kind of screwing everything up, I kind of missed out on all those. So if I can be part of that phenomenon at least once. Uh, That would be nice. Um, I don't think I really did much else in the hobby other than trying to finish up these Blood Bowl guys. Um, We didn't really do a whole lot in our Spelljammer game. It was mostly just kind of downtime stuff. Uh, I got into a drinking contest with a dwarf, and our bard uh, had me use our Lucky Tankard, which was a tankard of sobriety, so I got advantage on all my drinking rolls. Um...
0: mostly we just hung around on the Rock of Brawl, got a new quest. um. Because I bought a
1: weapon that I couldn't afford, and I offered to pay him half price, plus me owing him a favor, uh, in exchange for the weapon. Which I don't know if I'm going to regret, because uh, even though it is magical, it does less damage than the weapon I had been using.
0: Uh, I would hold on to it, and I would hold on to both weapons. And uh, switch out if you run into an enemy that is resistant to non-magical damage. Dual-wielding pike and spear. I mean, it's not dual-wielding. You just have (laughs) both of them, like, in your equipment.
1: That's kind of what I figured I would do, because at some point, I mean, we're going to run across something that uh, just ignores the normal laws of physics and refuses to be stabbed.
0: Hey, we learned that the only law my character respects is the law of physics.
1: This is also true. Um, mine doesn't obey any laws because our party is still thoroughly a cab, and we had a some dude riding on the back of a pig just blitz his way through a market stall, and we tipped over some bees to stop the cops from catching him.
0: I thought he knocked for no reason
1: other than we could. Did he knock over the bees? He knocked
0: over the bees. We
1: just... Oh, I thought... uh, For some reason, I thought we knocked over the bees.
0: No, he knocked over the bees, to which our entire response to him, like, cavorting through their thing and, you know, the constables going to stop him and whatever, was to cast sleep on the bees so that they wouldn't sting anyone or get hurt or anything. So,
1: who knows what kind of repercussions that will have for our party.
0: I don't think very many, because that was the Florida halfling, uh, Florida man halfling. Florida.
1: (laughs) We had a a mythical encounter with Florida man.
0: I think so, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. In any case, Mm -hmm. we are off to the, what, the doom space? Yeah.
1: Yeah. All All the spaces have names like that in the Galaxy of Terror.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll especially be fine because now's the time to talk about Lancer. we done with the
1: Weekend hobbies. It would be more fine if we had giant robots and Spelljammer.
0: Hell yeah. Um, Which,
1: why is that not a thing? That should be a thing.
0: Because Dungeons & Dragons is sad.
1: Yeah, just Wizards products in general lately have been kind of sad. Yes. Oh, we, I did forget to mention uh, our idea, now that the one ring has been found from the uh, Lord of the Rings magic oh, yes. expansion. yes, yes. Our idea of putting the- together a GoFundMe for $3 million to have that kid uh, throw the card into the fire on YouTube.
0: Yes, that, we need to get that ga- the person who drew it to gather a group of companions, preferably nine in total... And then, you know, get a GoFundMe to fly them to Hawaii so that the ring card can be cast into the fire from whence it came. And they'll just hike up to a volcano and throw it in. Uh, alternately, perhaps fly them to New Zealand to do it if you really want to go for it. I think Hawaii is just cheaper. But, uh, yeah, that that is my thought, is you found the one ring, now cast it into the fire from whence it came.
1: I don't know. Maybe if we can find a find a volcano where uh, we'd be much less likely to irritate the indigenous population.
0: Uh, that there isn't uh, Japan, maybe, but they don't have a lot of active ones. We'll we'll take it up to Mount
1: St. Helens and just drop it uh, just into the crater. It'll eventually make its way back into nature.
0: Yeah. Oh, Iceland. You could probably do it in Iceland.
1: Yeah, we'll go to go to Iceland, throw yeah. it in a volcano there. Fly him to
0: Iceland, throw the one ring Magic the Gathering card into a volcano, solve that problem. In fact, you know what you could do? You could get a little drone, which you would then like name Eagle, and use that <laughs> to fly the ring into the volcano.
1: Which Yeah, seriously, why do they just fly there?
0: Yeah. Fly fly the ring into Iceland. <laughs> I mean Mordor. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's that's our proposal. If someone wants to start the GoFundMe to hurl it into the fire from whence it came and thus, like, stop Wizards of the Coast from making more Magic the Gathering cards that are based on Lord of the Rings because, you know, you end the power of evil once and for all. Uh, I'd, I'd get on that.
1: I mean, I had considered setting up an actual Go, GoFundMe to try and get that going, but I don't know anything about crowdfunding, so I, I didn't even try.
0: I mean, I think you would have a better time of getting that... Funding started and like promoted if Twitter was not in the midst of death throes. Thanks, Elon Musk. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Neon Husk. Yeah. Uh, but
1: anyway, Lancer.
0: Getting away from capitalism, Lancer. You can
1: never escape capitalism. I'm. I'm sorry.
0: Lancer is a post-scarcity,
1: uh, <laughs> like. Yeah, Star that's Trek why Federation. it's called Science Fiction.
0: Ooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, seriously seriously, burn capitalism to the ground. Yeah, um, and
0: preferably don't wait as long as Lancer. So mm. Lancer is a mud and lasers RPG about mechs and the pilots who pilot them. Sorry. I've never heard that term before. Uh, it, it's a term used for things like Star Wars, where Ooh. it's science fiction, but it's you know, worn and lived in. Hmm. Um, it's. Sort I, of, always,
1: I always thought of the term as as a used universe.
0: Yeah, there's that, but it also co- sort of represents the fact that people tote around like energy weapons rather than just bullets. Um, it, it, it oftentimes refers to universes that are mo- a little further from Earth than the sort of military sci-fi near fiction stuff like Halo is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, where it's sort of just, like, slightly sleeker modern military tech. Um. Mud and lasers, uh, Star Wars is an example, Lancer is part of that, um. I guess the Gundam series probably falls into that. What about Battletech? Huh? Battletech? Uh, yeah, actually, I think Battletech is there as well. Um. Firefly. No, because Firefly is kind of or the is Firefly western. A western. Yeah, a battle tech and mech warrior is one hundred percent there. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones. That's sort of a yeah, um, yeah. It's um. Yep. It's not the most common genre. Uh, It's not the most common, like, stylistic choice, but it's one that kind of fits this game. Um, It was created in 2019, uh, written by Miguel Lopez and Tom Parkinson Morgan. Uh, Miguel Lopez, I believe, currently works for Wizards of the Coast. He he got a job afterwards. Tom Parkinson Morgan, also known by his internet username of Abaddon, is the artist and author of the webcomic Kill Six Billion Demons, um, Mm -hmm. which is also published by Image Comics. And uh, he provides much of the art for the book, although the Kickstarter also allowed them to hire a huge list of other artists that he knew from, you know, the internet and comic books and stuff and provide a huge selection of really cool full-color art.
1: Huzzah! We stand supporting working artists. Yes,
0: I mean, buying any of the materials... Buying the book or any of the materials supporting it... Supports working artists. Um, But the fact that there is an artist who is one of the core creators... Means that the mech art itself is incredibly consistent. Because one guy was responsible for drawing... Pretty much all of the basic frames. And so they are stylistically consistent... ...in a way that some other settings don't really get. Um, and in fact, stylistically consistent within the various manufacturers that... Uh, ...but they all seem like they belong in the same universe, which is pretty nice, actually. Um, the game takes place roughly 15,000 years in the future. After, uh, well, some point in the near to mid-future... Earth gets fucked. Uh, combination climate crash plus wars plus everything uh, kills off most people, but not before the humans sent ten massive colony ships out into space to try and, you know, go to other planets. Um, some of these made it places. Some of them did not. But... Uh, But those aren't the big important place because Earth recovered after a couple thousand years. The climate sort of stabilized and the like small handful of survivors, like half a million or so, uh, repopulated and discovered massive vaults called massifs that, you know, had the remnants of the technology that was, was kind of too late to actually fix things, but allowed them to rebuild technology quickly and then get out into the stars and start actually colonizing successfully um, the post uh collapse structure that did this was is called the union um and it, it the first union group was real focused on colonizing and getting out there they had discovered technology that allowed them to get stuff up to near light speed really quickly and sort of get out fast uh they encountered several of the colony ships that had landed on various planets um one of them being what's known now as the karen trade baronies who are large and um somewhat in charge they they have a large area they are sort of they've got some interesting history because they had Almost 10,000 years of their own history. Which is uh, as much, if not more, Britain history than we currently have here on Earth. <laughs> so, That's
1: dwarf fortress levels of Britain history.
0: Yeah, so they've got their own history and see themselves as being, like, equal to or better than Earth. And not really connected to it. Earth sucks! Well, it's more like... They're like, Earth's fine. You guys can keep Earth. This is us. We are from this planet. Um, and other ones. Eventually, the first committee got kind of overtaken by the second committee of Union. Who were... Uh, d- douchebags. Uh, they're sort of fascisty. the The term used in the book is anthro-chauvinist. Um... They believe in, like, the supremacy of Earth and the cultures of Earth, and that all of the other colonized planets need to be under the control of Earth, and and by extension, of the committee, and that only shit from Earth is important for humanity. Like, you, you should only speak languages that were developed on Earth. You should only do cultural things, like religions, that were developed on Earth. Uh, and they were totally willing to, uh, say, firebomb planets if they didn't get their way. They were not good people. Um, eventually, there was a series of crises that resulted in a couple of things. One of which being the development of faster-than-light travel. Another of which being the development of sort of full AI. They call them non-human persons. And they are self-aware artificial intelligence. Uh, and the last one being the, uh, the sort of internal overthrow of the second committee and its replacement with the third committee, who basically looked at what was going on and were like, oh, this is not good. This, this is not good at all. We're supposed to be the Star Trek Federation, and instead we're like the mirror universe Star Trek, where everyone's just evil
1: everybody gets beards yeah everyone's got, got goatees
0: and like stabs each other we don't want to be that we want to be the federation so they are trying to so they kind of made this choice to switch to being the federation actively um, and they're also trying to like make up for all the shit that the second committee did um, and that's kind of the state of the universe at the start of the game is the second committee has sorry the third committee has kind of gotten a post-scarcity utopia for the um, cosmopolitan metropolitan for the, the major planets and the connecting stations and stuff and they're trying to spread that to other planets peacefully whenever they can and when they run into planets that are just total shit shows you know planets that still practice slavery or uh human sacrifice or whatever, then they feel like they have to go in militarily and fix shit because they do not have the Prime Directive. They want to meddle it and make stuff better.
1: You will accept our peaceful ways by force.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're not going to firebomb planets from orbit just because the planet doesn't want to talk to them, but they are going to look at a planet that enslaves 50% of its population and go, yeah, we're going to get involved. Which I have to respect. Yeah, always, uh,
1: always take down slave owners.
0: Yes, and uh, the the game is explicitly designed. Um, there is an explicit acknowledgement in the book about uh, it believes that the ideas of liberation, radical anti-fascism, and anti-hate. Um, Begin around the table with friends and end in the streets at the ballot box and in all of our hearts. So, uh, yeah, this is an explicitly um, anti-fascist, anti-racist game.
1: Get wrecked, uh, fascists.
0: Yes, this this game.
1: The Supreme Court says you cannot play this game. I'm sorry.
0: uh, The state of Texas and the state of Florida would not like this game if they were able to read it too woke yes um also the fact that there are like art of trans characters in multiple books oh yep gotta burn it just not even commented on just there
1: i mean that is how we offend people by simply existing so yes they got that right yes
0: um the authors there's also a couple of design choices that sort of relate to this um there really aren't any aliens in the setting it's all humans so the, you can't be like ah now the evil aliens attack and you can feel good about killing them and there's no problems whatsoever no it, it's sorry humans. it's just humans all the way down it's humans all the way down if, if there's an evil group attacking it's humans and you have to kind of deal with the consequences of what caused humans to do this
1: sorry Sarah, that counts as a genocide
0: um now, that being said, there was a group of aliens, um, a planet with sentient aliens, and the genocide that the Second Committee did there was one of the things that caused them to be overthrown. Whoopsie. Good job, dicks. Um, that would be, uh, yeah. The uh, Hercinian Crisis is, is what it's called in the lore. Um, there's also... Uh, one of the other things is that they accidentally created a godlike AI. <laughs> whoops uh, a research facility on Mars did some shenanigans and accidentally sort of <sighs> they were doing galactic scale simulations and one of them simulated a artificial intelligence that could... Bent the laws of physics and the artificial intelligence then bent the laws of physics in the simulation and escaped into the real world.
1: See, this is what happens when you appease the machine spirit too much and don't set boundaries. It's just going to walk all over you.
0: The AI calls itself Ra, as in R-A, um, took over the moon Deimos, because it, remember it was on Mars, and took it somewhere. It just blinked out of orbit. That's mine now. It blinked it out of orbit, and when it came back, uh, its existence started, like, doing weird shit to artificial intelligence systems and generating uh, the, like, self-aware AI that is known as NHPs or non-human persons. Uh, It laid siege to Mars for several years until the government agreed to what is known as the First Contact Protocols. Which says uh, you can't research immortality, you can't research more um, super godlike AIs, and don't go genociding people.
1: Well, yeah, the AI is not going to want a competition. Of course it's going to ask for that.
0: I mean, yes, but also maybe it sees what happens if there's multiple godlike AIs running around the galaxy. Uh, Um, Because you remember how I mentioned that there's a religious... Crusade group. Yep. Yeah, that was spawned by one of the um, colony ships that is sort of way out on the outskirts, one of the original 10 colony ships. Um, that a while after landing, um, they were contacted by an entity that appeared as a giant, uh, basically a monolith, a giant monolith floating over their city.
1: So, they they just got Project Bluebeamed.
0: No, they got like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, a giant monolith floating over their city that displayed a number of powers that involved breaking the laws of physics and uh, seems to have similar abilities as Ra does. So, there are at least two uh, godlike entities in existence and maybe more? We don't know. Cool. Um, People occasionally find things called meta-vaults, which are physics-breaking, like, left-behind vaults. uh, Presumably built by—created by Ra, but also could be something else, who knows, that have all sorts of weird shit in them.
1: Where's your second law of thermodynamics now?
0: That would be, like, the least weird thing in them.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: But yeah, that's kind of the setting. There's all sorts of... There are thousands of planets to choose from. There are, you know, a number of different human civilizations. They're all... Kind of the big one is Union. And then it has all these things that are within it. And then there are some sort of on the outskirts. uh, The Trade Baronies, the... Um, Onic ascendancy and a few other groups.
1: As long as they don't end up with any trade federations, they'll be fine.
0: Uh, they're a trade barony, so. Mm. Um, the mechanics of the game are pretty straightforward. Everyone play you all play as pilots. All the characters are pilots, and you get a mech. Uh, outside of the mech, the game is done in kind of a loose narrative fashion. Where the you have a like backstory, and you have a number of skills. Uh, skills range from plus zero to plus six, and are you know skill triggers along the lines of um, things like uh, go fast. You know if you want to do something quickly, whether it be driving a car or like, outrunning somebody, you do that by rolling your go fast.
1: Um, Must go faster. Huh? Must go faster.
0: Yes. Uh, if you want to do something that, that is, like, fight somebody, you would use one of the, like, fighting skills, uh, which range from apply fists to faces or blow something up. Something like that. Or you can use you know using these is up to the players. They get put in a situation and then they decide what sort of skill they want to do and then the game master decides sort of what the consequences of this are and like whether there's going to be any extra difficulty or things like that. Uh, Then you make the rolls and if it's above a 10, it's a success. If it's below a 10, it's a failure and you suffer the consequences of failing it. Whatever those were agreed upon before the role was made.
1: Well, 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 if it's not the consequences of my actions.
0: For example, if you're starting a fist fight, the consequences might be that you get punched. Um, And the success might be that you win the fist fight. Um, If you're trying to, like, sneak into a building and you want to use the act unseen or unheard to get in without detection, the consequences... Maybe it's not, like, guarded that well. So the consequences is just that it takes a lot of time. Like, instead of being able to slip in in five minutes, you have to, like, hide behind a barrel for two hours while a couple of guards have a long conversation about the meaning of life and why they're out here. Um, But, you know, that might be just what happens. Um, So... Narrative play is very loose and allows for a lot of character choice and for the players to really direct how things go. On the other hand, uh, combat is done in the mechs and is incredibly, like, mechanically solid and tactically focused.
1: Yeah, son.
0: Um, it's typically done on a hex grid and it is it is explicitly designed in a hex grid with all everything being measured in, like, hexes as the range rather than any sort of, like, feet or any, like, explicit distance. Just so that you can scale your maps to be however you want. Um, and it has rules for, like, the sizes of different mechs, for hard and soft cover, for various, like... Blast patterns or cones. Um, It's very war game styled. Uh, Excellent. uh, In turn-based combat, mechs get a move and then either a full action or two quick actions. Um, A full action is something like stabilizing your mech to vent all the heat and repair it. Uh, A quick action might be something like Boosting to get extra movement, or taking a snapshot with one weapon system. Uh, you can also use a full action to fire with multiple weapon systems. And then, once per turn, you can overcharge to do another quick action, but you gain heat. Because oh you have heat. All the mechs are powered by nuclear reactors, and you can just overcharge and get a bunch of extra heat going. which Too hot. Will, which will eventually... Stress out your reactor and cause it to explode if you do too much of it.
1: I shouldn't have named my me- my mech Chernobyl.
0: I mean, if you're running one of the perhaps Genghis frames, that might make sense because those are a flame a frame that is all about using heat to be flamethrowery. <laughs> um, and I guess this is as good a time and as any to talk about the mechs. The mechs are really cool, and really customizable. Um, Yes, son. Every... Players get licenses in mechs. Uh, Every time you level up, you get a few things. You get, like, a little bit more skill triggers. You get an extra talent, which are, like, special abilities that you can have. Um, And you gain a license level in one mech of your choice. Uh, Each mech goes from license level... One to three. So at the first level of each mech, it just gives you like special abilities related to it. At the second level of a mech license, you get the frame, that is the like actual body of the mech that you can now start customizing. And then the third level gives you like really cool advanced abilities for that mech. Same deal. At license level zero, which is where players are recommended to start especially if it's new players you get the there's only one option and that's the Everest which is the uh, super balanced starter mech.
1: Sorry I've only got my learner's permit I can't have anybody in the cab with me.
0: Well the thing about the Everest is that while it is the super balanced starter mech its balance is not like below the level of all the other mechs. It's balanced to actually be slightly stronger than all the other mechs, just without any form of specialization. All the other mechs in the game are specialized in one way or another. They're good at hacking, they're really good at shooting, they fire grappling harpoons and have a chainsaw, they have a giant ship-scale railgun, whatever. They all have something that they're cool with. The Everest doesn't. But mechanically, your like just on numbers, the Everest is better than almost any other mech in the game. Um, just because it is good all around at pretty much everything except for hacking where it's just slightly not great.
1: It's an interesting um, method of balance. I don't think I've really seen that approach used in a lot of places.
0: It's a good thing, I think, because you... Are- You never lose the Everest and it is entirely viable to just keep it and get new weapon systems from other mechs. Like, you don't actually need to switch out when you get to a license level that gives you the other mechs. But everyone kind of does because the other mechs are cool. Uh, The other mechs come from one of four manufacturers, each of which has a sort of specific style and a specific um, theme to them. Uh, the four of them are IPS Northstar, also known as IPSN, Smith Shimano Corpo, Horus, and Harrison Armory. Uh, IPS Northstar are like a major shipping firm slash tech firm. Uh, they They run most of the Interstellar shipping. And so their stuff is focused on, like, anti-piracy and tends to be named after famous Terran admirals or pirates and stuff. You have the Blackbeard, the Drake, the Lancaster, the Nelson, the Raleigh, the Tortuga, the Vlad. They, they, They do a lot of, like, classic stuff, and a lot of their stuff is, like, rugged and reliable. Um they and when
1: you boot it up, you see an FBI anti-piracy video on the uh, screen in front of
0: you. Either that or a Jolly Roger, <laughs> um, one or the other, it, and you never know which one it's going to be. Uh, they have a lot of kinetic weaponry. You know, they they have shotguns. They have lots of shotguns, actually, um, and a lot well, of like
1: shotguns were useful for clearing the decks of ships back in the day, Well, what passed for a shotgun.
0: Yes, um So
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah, they, they have shotguns, they have like rotary cannons, the uh um The Raleigh has a six shooter built into the torso. <laughs> yes. It is a gunslinger. This planet's,
1: this planet's not big enough for the two of us. Yeah,
0: it's uh it's pretty great. The Blackbeard has grappling hooks and chainsaws. Sorry, like chain axes. Um, their their mech. I think
1: you have to you have to pledge allegiance to corn to pilot that one.
0: You kind of do. It's um, <laughs> yeah, it's a sweet looking mech. Um, the Drake has a minigun, and like giant shields, and the ability to deploy a bunker. The Lancaster is like four legged, like horse mech. Um, that is one of the best repair support platforms in the game and has the ability to just like drag everyone else around uh, the Nelson punches people and then hits them with a spear uh, the Rally, as I mentioned is all about them big six shooters uh, it's the, the it, it is Big Iron the Mech um, I'll be taking that one The Tortuga is shotgun mode. Uh, Its solution to everything is apply more shotgun. Um, And the Vlad is going to stab you. Possibly from range, because it has a nail gun. (laughs) Uh, Then you have Smith Shimano Corp. Uh, They are... Focused on, like... Advanced technology, sort of quasi-transhumanism, genetic engineering, biotech stuff. Um, a lot of it is terraforming related. You know, they adapt stuff to live on new planets. Um, cool. Which leads their stuff to have sort of a biological look, even if it's not biological. And it's very sleek and very smooth and very um, anime. They're, they're the anime ones. <laughs> um Also, all of their mechs are named after butterflies.
1: Uh, Weird flex, but okay.
0: And not like normal butterflies. You have the Black Witch, uh, which uses specialty magnetics to, um, like, magnetic shielding and cannons, and it's a controller type, where it kind of just says, no, you don't get to fire those bullets at me. You have the Death's Head, which has a giant fucking gun, and uh, is like all about perfect aim and sniping. Uh, you have I the... the Death's Head was a moth. Yes, I mean moths, butterflies. They they consider them the same thing, right?
1: Moths are uh, better than butterflies in every conceivable way.
0: Yeah, you have Mothman, not Butterflyman. <laughs> uh, the Duskwing. Which, um, I mean, it, it turns invisible and it flies. Uh, and, Fun. and is behind you. Oh no! Uh, yeah. You have the metal mark, which literally is depicted as holding a katana. <laughs> uh, it also turns invisible, has active camouflage, and a railgun.
1: Good times.
0: Uh, the Monarch, yeah, I think we know which butterfly that is, uh, which has all the missiles. Did I say all the missiles? Because I meant all the missiles. Um, it's the classic anime mecha thing where it just, like, fires 20 missiles out. Yeah, it's that. The Morning Cloak, which literally is the teleports behind you kind of thing. It, it teleports. No, thank you. And it has a monomolecular, uh, like weapon system, a variable sword. And the swallowtail, which is again, it's uh, like a scout mech that um, is is good at hiding and good at like uh, helping other people by spotting enemies. And also, the state
1: butterfly of our state.
0: Ooh. I didn't know we had a state butterfly. Yes, we do. Uh, then you have the Horus mechs. Horus is not actually a corporation like the other ones. Horus is like a weird anarchist hacker collective that also may or may not worship Ra. Um. The exact details are weird. Sometimes they just send people mechs. Uh, a lot of times their mechs are involved in like Radical anarchist movements, including and uh, labor uprisings on planets that don't have good labor laws.
1: Cool, so I can support that.
0: Horus is very punk, um, and all Horus mechs are named after Dungeons and Dragons monsters. Uh, uh, the Baylor. could have
1: come up with more punk names.
0: I I actually like it because they're monstrous is kind of the concept. The Baylor is uh half nanotech, half mech. So it looks like it is a, like, monster wreathed in smoke and flame. Uh, like the Balrog. Um, and it melts shit with nanotech.
1: Does it have wings?
0: Uh, no, unless you give it a flight system. In which case then it (laughs) does. Thus answering the question once and for all. Uh, the goblin is the ultimate hacking mech. And also, it can like connect to another mech and become a symbiote on it. Um, it's weird, but it's also kind of like the. Ur- it's also super small and super fragile, and it's kind of like the urban mech in BattleTech, where it's kind of a a um. Uh, what's the term? Uh, a mascot for the game.
1: Objectively, the best mech. Yes.
0: Uh, the Gorgon looks at you and then does mimetic warfare causing your mech to freeze up and your brain to go on the fritz. Oh boy. Uh, it does a lot of um, reaction based stuff where because you do something it gets to respond by shooting you or doing a technic doing a hack attack against you or something. The Hydra is drones. It splits itself off into a bunch of separate drones that fly out and do shit and make life much harder for whoever is running the game. Because yeah, now you have to travel all, all these drones that are moving around and it can have so many drones.
1: they always dropping grenades into my trenches and stuff like that. It's annoying.
0: Yep, it does that. Uh, the Manticore has electricity abilities where it zaps things. And also, its special ability is uh, (sighs) castigate the enemies of the Godhead, where it becomes a suicide bomber. Lame. Um, Where you can uh, basically change it, set it up so that when the mech is destroyed, it immediately explodes, automatically killing the pilot and doing twice as much damage as any normal explosion in the game does.
1: Not great for player characters.
0: Well, only the player character can trigger that system.
1: Like Exactly. Not great for player characters. Not
0: great for them. So, yeah. It's a weird one. But it's a fun one. Uh, and then the Horus Minotaur has control of, uh, like, space. Labyrinths? Yes, in that it has, uh, like space controls where like things are bigger on the inside it's a TARDIS yeah it's, it folds physical space uh, the interior systems occupy more physical space than should be possible by several orders of magnitude Um, and also like the pilot is can never be damaged by attacks hitting it because you're not in the mech you're in some sort of like fold space pocket of the mech Mm-hmm. Um the the like running joke is that people who pilot it have like an apartment in there rather than <laughs> a cramped cockpit like everybody else um and the horse pegasus extrudes guns it it is it is guns gun. everywhere um it, it 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 is about shooting things with guns that don't exist um, and it is weird. Um, and just like breaking some of the game's abilities, uh, the the Ushabti Om- Omni Gun can, once per round as a free action, deals one damage to a character within range and line of sight. It does not counter as an attack, hits automatically, ignores cover, bypasses immunity, and its damage can't be reduced or ignored in any way. No rule like some... in this book or any other supersedes this.
1: That's like some Warhammer 40k bullshit.
0: It, I mean, it's beyond that because it's just... Once per round, I go bang and hit somebody. Um, its weapon type is listed as error. <laughs>
1: um,
0: it's also got a thing where you've got a gun that constantly shifts into new forms mimicking the weapons of other combatants um at the start of a combat you roll 3d20 and write the results down uh, indicating what its range is and then each round it like chain it it switches to the next of the three numbers that you rolled
1: good times
0: uh and the damage is equal to one plus half the current range. So, yeah, it just keeps changing and being weird as you play. I I, I love the Pegasus. It's such a weird-looking mech. Uh, and then the last one is Harrison Armory, who are kind of the most douchey of the corporate entities in the game. They are remnants of the second committee who fled and switched to being a smaller group. Uh... The leaders who were responsible for that still got theirs, but they do have a tendency to uh, build genocide machines. Boo. Uh, their mechs are the Barbarossa, which is a giant mech mounting a, like, spaceship-scale railgun. Uh, that takes, like, four turns to charge up and then fires and destroys everything in its path. Um the genghis which is flamethrower the mech
1: <laughs>
0: i guess lancer the flamethrower um that, that just does fire damage all the time uh iskander which is about deploying mines everywhere and then blowing them up whenever anyone walks around
1: you mean it's not hypersonic nope uh, although that's that's what Putin always talks about is, yeah, is how hypersonic the they
0: are. Iskander uh hypersonic missiles. But Iskander's just a um Iskander's just a like medium range ballistic missile system. It's only hypersonic when you launch it from a MiG 31 that is already <laughs> going supersonic.
1: Like it has yeah, a technicality.
0: i it it is, but it has no special warhead, it has no special Um, guidance system, so it's hilariously inaccurate, and you have to use a MiG-31 every time you want to launch it, and MiG-31s have serious engine issues if they go supersonic for too long. So... Uh, yeah. Let's just say that the Iskander is the shittiest hypersonic missile that qualifies as a hypersonic missile. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, the Iskander deploys mines everywhere, and, uh has gravity related abilities to like fling people onto said mines. Fun. Uh the Napoleon is a small mech. Uh but it's BB to it. No, it is literally size one half, so it's designed as a tiny little mech. Uh mm-hmm. but it's got like stasis abilities and displacer guns, so it kind of like stops stuff from hitting it. It's very specifically built for defense now the, defense now the other defensive mech is the Saladin however the Saladin is built to defend everyone around it
1: Saladin where are you going
0: uh, to, to stop the Crusaders duh that's
1: a that's a deep-cut joke for any uh, age of Empires two fans out there
0: la la la. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah Saladin is all about defense uh, and mostly about defensive of other players uh, which makes it really good actually Um, and then of course there's the Sherman who is there to march Uh, to Georgia and then maybe maybe, do
1: some aggressive rezoning
0: yes do some aggressive rezoning and then maybe go fuck up some natives because he feels like it boo Boo. Um, the Sherman is lasers it is good at lasers It has laser cannons, it has laser rifles, it has a tachyon lance, it has a laser gun built into the head of the mech.
1: This is the first time I've heard the word lance uh, in relation to a weapon. In the game? Yes.
0: Yeah. um, So the term lancer is just uh, used to refer to pilots of mechs. um, Because Uh. you are the cavalry, essentially. Is kind of the concept. Yeah, that makes sense. So they call the people who pilot mechs lancers. Got it. Um, And then the last of the Harrison Armory mechs is the Tokugawa, which uses plasmasoids. That are fed directly from your nuclear reactor. (laughs) Um, So, yes, you you are using directly nuclear-powered torches to just cut through everything in your way. And those are all the mechs available to players from the core book. Like, you could kind of tell that each of them has a very distinct feel to it. Yep. And those aren't the only mechs available because there have been a couple of expansions. Uh, the Long Rim Lancer setting and the Kakeran Trade Baronies Lancer setting each add a bunch of mechs. Yay. Uh Long Rim adds four or five. Trade Baronies adds two to three. And then there have also been several... Um, like, campaign narratives for it. Uh, no Room for a Wallflower is official and written by the core... By the authors of everything else. And kind of explores what happened on that planet that where the alien race got genocided. And sort of what what's been going on there, in the mm-hmm. aftermath of that, and then there are a couple of ones written by other people that are officially published by the company that makes the game. Um, they're sort of I guess you'd call them first party supplements or second party supplements. I don't know how to don't know what the term would be. Uh, Operation Solstice Rain and Dust Grave. Um, that they also have some additional mech options in there as they are you know officially recognized and notified not they're official cu- supplements um so there's some so if you want to play the game and want to like and don't want to invent a bunch of stuff yourself, you have options which, which is not always the case for indie games like this.
1: Uh, this is very true.
0: Yeah. Um, for Game Masters, the book has a pretty solid selection of how to set up a game, what sort of mission hooks you're, you you want to run, um, the rules on character progression, and then its concept for combat, which they do in sit reps, which is more along the lines of a scenario for a war game than it is a traditional, like, battle setup in a role-playing game like there are deployment zones and turn limits and like victory conditions
1: uh, which is
0: i think quite interesting and it also talks about like how what enemy forces you should deploy depending on what the scenario is Um, and then it has a huge selection of non-player characters in a variety of categories, ranging from artillery, controller, defender, striker, and support. Uh, each of which is does a sort a different thing. Some of them are focused on like launching missiles, others have swords, others like do hacking attacks, or turn invisible, or are just snipers. And each of which has like core systems and then optional add-on systems that you can use to really customize them, along with Uh, additional templates that can be given to them to make them you know more specific like there's a pirate template and a mercenary template and a like veteran and ultra templates and even a vehicle template if you want the version of the sniper to be in fact a tank rather (laughs) than a mech you just give it the vehicle template and that changes how it works a little prevents it from doing melee attacks and uh performing grapple actions because you're in a tank now
1: i'm just gonna sit back here and shoot
0: yep um yeah it's uh it's a really nice setup and it lets the game it lets the game master pretty quickly throw something together to have a working combat without having to like sift through stuff too much uh, because all of these uh, various NPCs are built with tiers where depending on what level the players are at, the tier of the NPCs can match or, you know, sort of be altered to give more or less of a challenge mm-hmm. uh, with the same general concept of the NPC. Um, and that that's kind of the basics of Lancer. Uh, Sounds
1: like good times.
0: It is. I think it's really good times. I think it's one of the better indie RPGs out there. Um, For resources on it, there is a subreddit uh, Lancer the RPG or Lancer RPG, something like that uh, that's pretty solid. Uh, There's a Discord that is incredibly useful and is constantly recruiting people to play games. Um, Although sometimes they are paid games which I'm cool with. I'm just not interested in joining at the moment um and it has additionally something that i think is really amazing which is comp slash con which is a character creator that is free just you can just make an account for it it is a compendium and character creator that allows you to build and customize your mechs So rather than trying to like fill out a character sheet for the mech with all of its various weird abilities and uh, like upgrade slots, you can go on here. You can create your pilot and then you can just pick mech parts and the system will tell you if they fit. Nice. Um, So, yeah, it makes it really, really easy to track your mech and it. Provides you with options to upload it to and sync it if you're playing in certain virtual tabletops. Uh, literally, virtual tabletop v- Foundry VTT is the recommended one as Foundry is fully Lancer compatible. Uh Roll 20 is not annoyingly. Boo. And that seems to be a Roll 20 issue more than anything else. Uh, yeah, Roll
1: 20 but- the. It's not going to work
0: that well. Yeah. Uh, CompCon also provides the option to um, create a printable version of any of your pilot sheets. So if you wanted to play, uh, like, in person, you could create your sheets in CompCon, print them off, and then have a fully filled out character sheet ready to go. Every session. Huzzah!
1: Um,
0: so yeah, it's it's very good. Uh, I really enjoy how the narrative elements are structured in that narrative play is pretty fast and versatile. And then uh, tactical play is incredibly crunchy and like position is important. Uh, cover is important, synergistic abilities between characters are is really, really good. Uh, just running out in the open and trying to spray bullets at people will get you shot and
1: mm-hmm. will
0: get you shot down pretty hard if people fo- if the enemies focus on you at all um so yeah i i think it's really good i think the setting is cool i think the uh the authors have done a really good job of laying out what they want and uh i think what they want is pretty uh pretty much something we can agree on Woo! Uh, and that's lancer ed any questions you have about it
1: i have no strong feelings one way or the other
0: cool because i want to run it for our group at some point
1: Uh, i assume we probably would uh hearing you talk about it over the last while it pretty much satisfied any questions that i've about it
0: yeah i mean i backed the kickstarter when that was announced in 2019 so i have the hardcover physical rule book um the rule book is currently out of print because it was Kickstarter, so you have to buy the pdf if you want it uh which you can do just just look it up um
1: i do remember you sent me the kickstarter for it and i think i was gonna back it and i just didn't for whatever reason
0: yeah um they are looking into doing a second printing on the rulebooks, but I have no idea if, when, or if that's gonna actually come through. And yeah, Lancer, I do have one thing I kind of want to run a like hack version of Lancer that uses a sort of fantasy esque setting. Fantasy max. Um, I was thinking something like. ...sort of Avatar The Last Airbender... ...where it's super Asian-inspired... ...and you've got different realms that... ...kind of match up with... ...effectively Japan, Korea... ...China, and then Southeast Asia. And lots of giant... ...kaiju monsters, plus... ...people wandering around in mechs.
1: I've never seen... ...Avatar The Last Airbender... ...but you had me at kaiju.
0: Yes, so you'd have kaiju attacking cities... ...um attacking like fantasy cities and then you know your wandering band of ronin bandits who all have mechs um that you'd have to like seven samurai your way to defend a village with your mechs
1: but what if we want to ride the kaiju
0: um i give me a piloting check (laughs) um yeah and then the 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 core concept would be that the manufacturers are the like celestial uh, court, who you so you'd go to temples and they would like bless you and you'd gain access to the various mech things. It would be mechanically exactly Lancer, with names changed. Um, it sounds like my a good time. core concept here is to change the rules zero and the lore. About 95%. Cool. Um, So that's something that I might work on. Um, Maybe. In between all the other things I want to do. But we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner. Uh, I have a game that I got to play recently called Tinder Blocks. Yay! It is a tiny little, like... Uh... Skill game, like physical skill game, where the goal is to build a campfire. Uh, so you have a little box of like brown blocks, like brown rectangular blocks, and then red and yellow square blocks, and you draw a card indicating what element of the campfire you need to create. Then using a pair of tweezers that the game supplies, you take out the blocks and set them on... Like, set them together and then pick them up and set them on a central campfire. The It's kind of reverse Jenga. (laughs) If, when setting stuff on the campfire, you cause any of it to fall over, you are out. And the game continues until only one player is left.
1: And congratulations, you have burned down a national park.
0: Yes. Um... It's it's quite fast, it's quite fun. Um, some of the cards require you to use your non-dominant hand to oh, move boy. stuff um, to you know keep it going keep it from going around forever. Uh, I think the game also ends if you run out of blocks, but I have no idea how that could happen. You would have to build something like six, eight inches tall, which seems impossible.
1: Um, you run out of blocks, your campers starve because it's too cold and they can't eat.
0: Well, no, if you run out of blocks, you've built, like, a massive bonfire, so I think you everyone still in the game wins at that point. <laughs> like, there there are enough blocks, and they are small enough, that I see no way to run out of blocks without also running out of players. Um, yeah, I recommend it. I got it a while ago as a gift, so, uh, um yeah, I I don't know. Okay, it looks like it's uh $13. uh between $13 and $15. Yeah. Uh it's cool. It's very neat. Um good little quick game. Uh highly recommend it for l- groups that are not interested in rules heavy stuff. Um Although the, the the I would not recommend it for groups with smaller children, as the components are fairly small. And, Somebody think of the children. And one well, more that likely to get lost, and you know, kids are just likely to not stick them up their nose. Well, well, not even that. Just drop them off the table, and then you've lost half the components, and then you're never going to be able to play the game again. Um, and it also comes in just a super tiny tin, like it's uh, like card pack sized almost, or like maybe a couple packs of cards. So it it's good to take on like camping trips or something if you wanted a game to play there.
1: Very thematic.
0: Yep. So Tinderblocks, I would recommend it. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Uh, happy Fourth of July. Uh, support your local game store. Fight fascists. Uh, join union. Wait, not that one. Um, <laughs> did pilot a goblin. Do the things Ed's about to tell you to do.
1: Oh boy, you can follow me on Instagram and Anna Madness uh, posted a big rant about the Supreme Court. So very special fuck you to the Supreme Court on this 4th of July. Uh, to those who celebrate... Um, Donate to all of your uh, reproductive justice funds, queer charities. Um, Make sure that uh, bigots are no longer allowed to consume your content. Um, Cause trouble for your local Nazis. Uh, Sink Florida and Texas into the Gulf. I have had too much whiskey to remember all of my weird... Anarchist plugs. Go Knowles. So go Knowles. Go
0: Knowles.